0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Social Contractor Commander Podcast. I'm your solo host for today, Mike Almond. How are we doing? So, sometimes real life gets in the way. Got work, got schedule conflicts, things along those lines. We do our very best. If we could play Magic all the time, if we could record all the time, if this was our exclusive job, we'd absolutely do it more often. But we gotta pay the bills, y'all. So, with that, we're gonna do another deck take for you. um... I have talked about my Vivictus as deck a lot. And I love this deck. It's so much fun. It does so much chaotic stuff. And I just kind of wanted to go off the idea of building a deck that's a little bit weird. You know, you can build this deck for a lot of different reasons. Um, The one that I wanted to go off of with Vivictus as the Dire, is everybody's going to Chaos Warp every turn if I can help it and I'm always going to benefit off of it uh, but it is a political based deck because I tend to let people pick what they're gonna blow up as long as they don't try to come at me too hard I'm gonna let you pick what kind of things you get rid of now the problem is is that when you're playing a deck like this where everybody's gonna get potential value but it's completely random. Uh, sometimes it can get chaotic and sometimes it can get nutty. And frankly, I said that is the potential problem, the potential flaw. It's not a flaw. It's so much fun. It's so much, it, it's entertaining to play with this deck. Uh, I haven't had a lot of complaints about it, even though it's done some pretty mean things because it does it randomly. So, with that, let's go ahead and go over Vivictus Asmati the Dire. This is three generic black, red, green for a flying 6 6 Elder Dragon. Whenever vivictus Asmadi, the Dyer attacks. For each player, choose target permanent that player controls. Those players sacrifice those permanents. Each player who sacrificed a permanent this way reveals the top card of their library, then puts it onto the battlefield if it's a permanent card. So a couple of things here. It says for each player, choose target permanent they control. That means if some player, uh, if one of your opponents casts Heroic Intervention, all of their permanents have hexproof, you can't do it, which kind of stinks. Um, but that said, it is after that, basically you go around the table and you're going to choose a permanent, choose target permanent for each player to sacrifice, including yourself. And then everybody's going to flip the top card of their library. If it's a permanent, go straight onto the battlefield, which means the stack can get nuts with all of the leave the battlefield triggers and enter the battlefield triggers that can happen at random without people expecting it. Or even better, when you make a deal with one of your opponents to try and take down the arch enemy or something along those lines. When you can expect it, it does some nutty stuff. And I'm a big fan of this deck. Uh, The whole point of it is to get out there, ramp as much as we possibly can, and get a Vivictus out there to start swinging at stuff. So with that, one of the other things to keep in mind... We never want to lose out on the flip. Now, there's a bunch of different ways that you can do that. You can do top deck manipulation. You can make sure that the things that you're getting rid of and you're sacrificing are things that can come back and still give you value in the long term. You can include all of that, which I have. The other way to make it happen is to have only permanents in the deck. This is no sorceries, no instants, nothing along those lines. I am never going to lose the flip on Vivictus Asmati, and that is one way to guarantee my value as I'm playing this commander, which means it's always going to do some pretty cool stuff. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into the deck itself. So one of the first things that I mentioned was the top deck manipulation, so let's go into a couple of the cards. Uh, First one is a green staple, that's Sylvan Library. One generic and a green for an enchantment at the beginning of your draw step. You may draw two additional cards. If you do, choose two cards in your hand drawn this turn. For each of those cards, pay four life or put that card on the top of your library. So basically, this is a good way to look at the top three cards. Draw the top three cards, so draw effects do matter. Draw the top three cards and either keep one, two, or three of them, putting the rest back after you decide if you're not going to keep all three, and putting them, more importantly, in what order you would choose, which means I can do some really cool top deck manipulation. Uh, next card is Sensei's Divining Top, another staple. One generic for an artifact that says pay one, look at the top three cards of your library, then put them back in any order, or tap Sensei's Divining Top, draw a card, then put Sensei's Divining Top on top of its owner's library. Uh, pretty simple. These are... Cards that, if you play Commander, you have seen them before. Then we get to a bunch that you might not have. So, the one that I want to hit real hard here is Druidic Satchel. So, Druidic Satchel is a card that I don't see a lot of people playing, and I get why. It's a three generic artifact that, for two mana and to tap it, you reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature card, you put a 1-1 green sapling token onto the battlefield. If it's a land card, you put it onto the battlefield under your control. And if it's a non-creature, non-land, you gain two life. The main reason that we want to play this is because of the second clause of that ability. The idea of taking this artifact and after every turn paying two, if the top card is a land, great. Put it on the battlefield tapped. That's awesome. That is our best case scenario. We want to hit that every time. The worst case scenario is we get a non-creature, non-land, which means basically at this point we're getting an artifact or enchantment because we're not going to get any sorceries or instants in this deck, and we gain two life. Even the first option of revealing a creature and getting a 1-1 sapling, well, that's something that we can sacrifice to Vivictus as Madi, so we love it. This is one of those cards that's in more decks than I would say it qualifies for. Ooh, can I see that? But it is an honorable mention because we love those cards that can do a bunch of different things. This does one thing, but it gives you a bunch of different options depending on the top deck. Next card, another one that's kind of weird, and don't see a whole lot of it, is Cream of the Crop. One generic and a green for an enchantment that says, Whenever a creature comes into play under your control, you may look at the top X cards of your library, where X is that creature's power. If you do, put one of those cards on top of your library, and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. This is a card for two mana. That if you're playing a creature deck, I don't know why you wouldn't put it into your deck in just about any circumstance. Every time a creature enters the battlefield, you get to look at that many cards for whatever its power is, pick the best one, and ensure that's your next draw, or in our case, that it's our next Vivictus flip. That's ridiculous. Especially when you get into the fact that it's green, and it's a big creature deck, or It's Vivictus, and it's a big creature deck. Green has lots of big creatures. This is a card that should be in more, and I absolutely adore it. Next one we're going to look into on this is Haunted Crossroads. Now, this isn't top-deck manipulation per se. It's graveyard and top-deck manipulation. Haunted Crossroads, two generic and a black for an enchantment that says, one black, so just black, put target creature card from your graveyard, on top of your library. There is nothing better than getting value except for knowing exactly what that value is going to be all the time. I would love to ensure that I am drawing some kind of piece that's always going to ramp me. So, let's get our Sakura Tribe Elder back onto the top of our library. Let's get a Terastodon back on the top of our library if we sacrifice it. Let's get... Our Solemn Simulacrum up on there again, always getting that returning value. It is a card that it's not expensive for the ability to instant speed, put a card back on the top of your deck if it is a creature in your graveyard. That is something worthwhile to a lot of decks. It is especially worthwhile to decks that like flipping cards over off of the top of their library. So that's what we got for some of the top deck manipulation. I don't want to go too far in any segment. I'm going to go ahead and put the tapped out deck into the show notes so you're able to take a look at it and see exactly what we're working with. We have a lot of cards that have high CMC or mana value, I guess is what we're calling it now. With that... That means that we want to ramp. Even though we want to rely on our commander to flip things over to randomly play stuff more often than not, we still have to have the ability to cast spells from our hand just in case everybody decides that Vivictus is not fun. And I can tell you this, at least one person at the table is probably going to decide that Vivictus is not fun. So we have a whole lot, a whole lot of no sorcery or instant ramp. Uh, with that, we have the standards, we have our Sakura tribe elder, we have our spring bloom druid, uh, and of course, we have to do a special shout out to our veteran explorer, I, I think the, the mascot of our podcast, if there is one. Um, all of these creatures that come in and they get they either get you lands or on the condition that they die, they get you lands. Um, then we go to a couple of different ones that people might not have heard of. Uh, Viridian Emissary is one generic and a green for an elf scout. Two one. When it's put into the graveyard from the battlefield, you can search for a basic land card, put it on the battlefield tapped. Okay, so, a Sakura tribe's Elder without the sack outlet. You know, it's, it's not ideal, but it gets us where we want to go. Uh, obviously we have a Solemn Simulacrum, we mentioned that before. Then we get into some of the spicier ones, like our Lotus Cobra. Now, with Lotus Cobra, it's kind of a double-edged sword because it says, as a 1 generic and a green 2-1 snake landfall, whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may add 1 mana of any color to your mana pool. There's a lot of things that we want to do to get lands onto the battlefield, even though we're not using our standard cultivates, ramp up growths, things along those lines. The difference here is that sometimes those lands are going to enter the battlefield during our combat step. So every once in a while, we're going to end up wasting some mana. Unless we've got one of our other mana sinks into the actual battlefield, like our Druidic Satchel or a Mimic Vat, which we'll get to a little bit later because it's a very important card in the deck. Things along those lines. That said, getting this out, it's never a bad idea to have essentially a land drop and a half on your turn if you're getting that extra mana value from it. We have Omen of the Hunt. This is an enchantment with Flash. Two generic and a green that says, when Omen of the Hunt enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic land card, put it on the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Now, three mana for an enchantment that gets you a land is absolutely not the value that you're looking for normally when you want to ramp. It's in the deck for a couple of different reasons. One, it is an enchantment, so that means it fulfills our requirement of only permanents in the deck. Two, it has flash, which means we can play it on our opponent's end step before it comes in our turn. But the other weird part about this is, one, because it's an enchantment, it's something that we can sacrifice to Vivictus themselves, which means we're not losing one of our other permanents, or the other ability on Omen of the Hunt, two generic and a green, sacrifice Omen of the Hunt, Scry 2. Scry 2 in a deck where you care about top-deck manipulation is awesome. So the ability to ramp with a card, have a sacrifice piece for our commander, as well as the ability to do some top-deck manipulation, depending on the circumstances of the game, always really good. Uh, Next card we have here, this is a little bit different kind of ramp, the next ones we're going to go into. First one is Goldspan Dragon. Now this is three generic red red for a four four dragon with flying and haste. Whenever goldspan dragon attacks or becomes the target of a spell, create a treasure token, which is pretty good by itself. But it also adds treasures you control have tap, sacrifice this artifact, add two mana of any one color. So your treasures become extra valuable. Mm-hmm. If you flip a goldspan dragon off of Evictus. That does feel a little bit bad because you don't get to swing with it because you're already in combat. However, a 4-4 Dragon with Flying and Haste for 5 mana that has any other benefit whatsoever is still decent. The idea that this creates treasures and makes them more valuable to us is awesome. Next one leans a little bit more into what we're looking for with Seed Guide Ash. Another card that isn't played nearly enough, and I think it's because of the higher CMC, but... We should probably change that. Four generic and a green for a 4-4 tree folk druid. When seed guide Ash is put into a graveyard from play, you may search your library for up to three forest cards and put them into play tapped if you do shuffle your library. Keep in mind that that doesn't say basic forests. So if you've got some fancy lands out there that have the forest type, this is a sacrifice wanting to happen to get you three lands that's ridiculous the fact that this isn't played more often has always surprised me very good card absolutely worth running in a lot of decks and definitely worth running in this one so that's what we're going to talk about for the ramp pieces that said you're not always going to have a big haymaker available to you whether you're not getting your ramp pieces whether you're not drawing the big spells and you have lots of things out there, you're going to want something out onto the battlefield that you can sacrifice without any kind of issue. So let's go ahead and look into some of our... We're going to call them the fodder slash fodder makers uh, of the deck. Things that create different permanents for you to destroy or are a permanent that you might want to destroy themselves. And especially the ones that are able to give you some extra value off of it. Uh, First couple, Doom Dissenter, Discord, and Piper. These are both creatures that when they die, you replace them. One of them with a 2-2 zombie, one of them with an 0-1 goat. Goats are hilarious. Very much a fan of it being in this deck. Uh, Next one we're going to talk about is Sanitarium Skeleton. So this is a 1-mana 1-2 that says, for 3-mana, return Sanitarium Skeleton from your graveyard to your hand. That's fantastic, because you can do that whenever you need to. Specifically, on your opponent's end step, put it back in your hand, be able to play it your next turn, put it down whenever you need to, and then you have a 1-mana sacrifice outlet for us to try and get our Chaos Warp effect from Victus's ability. We also have Loyal Apprentice. This is one generic and a red for a human artificer Two one with haste that has lieutenant at the beginning of combat on your turn. If you control your commander, create a 1-1 colorless stopped or artifact creature token with flying. That token gains haste until I'm in turn. So if we go to combat with loyal apprentice out and vivictus, we get to make a 1-1. And then as we attack with vivictus, we can choose to sacrifice that 1-1 token we just made. As part of the effect, to go ahead and do that. The Victus Chaos Flip, always good. Grizmold the Dreadsour, is a 3-mana Troll Shaman, 3-3 three, three with Trample, that says at the beginning of your end step, each player creates a 1-1 one, one green plant creature token. Whenever a creature token dies, put a plus-1, one, plus-1 one counter on Grizmold the Dreadsour. We like this for a couple reasons. One, the turn after it gets out. There's a bunch of different targets on the board. Maybe someone is really far behind in the game and we don't necessarily want to pick on them. Well, great, we already gave them a 1-1 that we can go ahead and blow up. And we get value off that 1-1. Two, we're getting our own 1-1s to go ahead and blow up and Grismold gets bigger, which this combat-centered deck really, really digs. Another one that creates a lot of tokens is Shoot Dryad, 4 generic and a green for a 2-2 Dryad with a scent. If you control 10 or more permanents, you have the city's blessing for the rest of the game. The beginning of each upkeep, create a 1-1 green sapling creature token. saplings you control, get plus 2, plus 2, as long as you have the city's blessing. So not only are we getting lots of tokens, potentially, we're getting lots of power on the board as we do so. 1-1s are obnoxious, and they usually need to be so plentiful and have so many doubling effects or something along those lines for them to be awesome or they need a pump spell to be able to be awesome three threes well now you're playing with power this is where you're actually putting a ton of these things out there and that just synergizes nicely with what our deck wants to do the last one that i want to put on here is blood Soak champion this is another one mana two one creature human warrior that says Bloodsoaked Champion can't block. Raid, one generic and a black. Return Bloodsoaked Champion from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate this ability only if you attack with a creature this turn. Well, what are we going to try and do a whole lot with this deck? We want to attack. We want to go forward. We want Vivictus to fly over. Be super awesome dragon. Ah, that was breathing fire on everybody. I assume that Vivictus can breathe fire. I mean, the picture kind of gives it that hazy, fiery background effect, but maybe not. I don't know. The point is, is we want Vivictus to fly free, fly true, and wreck shop. So if that's the case, having a 1-mana creature that you can pay 2-mana to get back onto the battlefield each turn, also pretty spicy in and of itself. Let's talk about another segment of the deck. This is where we get into the real meat and potatoes of Vivictus. We're going to destroy... Nope not destroy. We're going to make other people sacrifice a lot of permanents. And a lot of the time, those permanents are going to be creatures, whether it's because that's what they choose or because it's the scariest thing that's on the board right then and we don't really have a choice. We have to get rid of it. So let's talk about enjoying some of those things again. This is where we get into a lot of the win cons and what the deck likes to do. It's more going to swing for combat damage to try and achieve victory, but it's not necessarily going to use only its own cards to do so. Uh, First card that we'll talk about is Mimic Vat. Uh, This is a pretty infamous card. Three generic for an artifact with imprint. Whenever a non-token creature dies, you may exile that card. If you do, return each other card exiled with Mimic Vat to its owner's graveyard. And then for three generic and tapping it, You can create a token that's a copy of the card exiled with Mimic Vat. It gains haste. Exile it at the beginning of the next end step. If you blow something up with Vivictus and you say, that has a really cool ETB effect, I'm going to go ahead and put it under the Vat. That can be really spicy. What's more spicy is when you can do that on a repeated basis. This is one of those cards that if it's out there, People have to figure out how to get rid of it before they worry about any of your other threats. One of the ways that we protect Vivictus in this deck, ironically enough, is we try and make Vivictus' trigger less scary than literally everything else that's going on at the table at any given time. It's a lot of control, the situation, not countering things, but making sure we're all keeping pace with each other, then exploding with value whenever the deck says, hey, it's time to pop off which is always a really good amount of fun. One of the ways that it can do that is with the other cards in the deck that say when your opponent's creatures die, you have an opportunity to get them back. First one we'll talk about is Grave Betrayal. Five generic black, black for an enchantment that says whenever a creature you don't control dies, return it to the battlefield under your control with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it at the beginning of the next end step. That creature is a black zombie in addition to its other colors and types. We want to get more creatures, blow up everybody's creatures and have them come back on our team. Always good to be able to get that kind of value. Always good to be able to get that kind of encouragement. Um, another one that does that is a creature itself. sepulchral Primordial. Five generic, black, black for a 5-4 creature avatar with Intimidate. When Sepulchral Primordial enters the battlefield for each opponent, you may put up to one target creature from that player's graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. We can take a creature that we blew up. We can put it onto the battlefield under our control for each of our opponents. And then next turn, we can blow up Sepulchral Primordial. And then we can bring it back with a bunch of our different recursion abilities and the ability to manipulate our graveyard to get into our actual deck. Things along those lines. Very fun card. Very mean card depending on what you've been blowing up. But again, the main premise of this deck is my deck has scary stuff, but it's scary stuff is that it's going to take advantage of the scary stuff that you put out there. Uh, speaking of scary stuff, let's talk about Scion of Darkness. Five generic black, black, black for a 6-6 avatar with trample. That says whenever Scion of Darkness deals combat damage image to a player, you may put target creature card from that player's graveyard into play under your control That's super cool by itself. It also has Cycling 3. So you can pay 3 generic mana as an ability to discard it from your hand to draw a card. So if we have any of that cool top deck manipulation, any of those ways to put cards from our graveyard onto the top of our deck, fantastic! Sign of Darkness can go into our graveyard, we can draw a card from it, we can try and get that land drop that we were trying to look for or find a different kind of answer... And then, before we attack with Evictus, we can make this card be the one that goes on top. Boop! Instant value, 6-6, that we paid three generic and drew a card for, plus whatever abilities we needed to, to make it happen. Next card we're going to talk about is Rakshasa Debaser. This is a four generic black-black, 6-6 cat demon, that says whenever it attacks, put target card from defending player's graveyard onto the battlefield under your control, which is nice because that means that we don't need to actually do combat damage with it. We just have to swing at the player that we want to get that through. It also has oncar for six generic black black. Exile this card from your graveyard for each opponent. Create a token copy that attacks that opponent this turn if able. They gain haste, sacrifice them at the beginning of the next end step. Activate only as a sorcery. So congratulations, we have taken Scion of Darkness and we've improved on it. This costs less. It doesn't have Trample, but it doesn't have to hit. It's a 6-6 that just says Zoom. I'm going to try and take some creatures from your graveyard. We love that kind of effect. Then we talk about our creatures that like it when other people sacrifice things. I don't even have to bring them back. I don't have to go through hoops. If you sacrifice it, if you get rid of it, well, then it's mine. So we're going to start with Turgrid, God of Fright. This is a terrifying card, but... If it was going to be in one of my decks, it was going to be this one. Three generic, black, black for a legendary creature god with menace, four, five. Whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent or discards a permanent card, you may put that card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. There's a backside to it. It's the lamp. I don't care. That's not what we're going to be using Turgrid for. Turgrid is going to come out beyond the battlefield, And then we're going to swing with Vivictus, and we're going to try and win the game that turn. We're going to try and hit the stuff that's going to give us awesome ETBs and see if there's a way for us to eliminate some of our opponents. And if Turgrid isn't bad enough, let's go ahead and go with It That Betrays. 12 mana Eldrazi, 11-11 with Annihilator 2. Whenever this creature attacks, Defending Player sacrifices 2 permanents. Whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent, put that card onto the battlefield under your control. Woof! You want to talk about someone having a bad day, send an eleven, eleven Eldrazi at them to make them sacrifice two permanents. Also sending Vivictus to make them sacrifice another permanent and everyone else. And get all of that value. Oh boy, that can be a bad day last set of cards that I want to talk about are the ones that synergize with Vivictus as far as a just doing the Vivictus thing in the coolest way possible that might not have fallen into our other categories. Uh, First one is Atali the Primal Storm, or Atali Primal Storm. Uh, This was actually where we got the start of the deck. I wanted to make an Atali deck, and it turns out Atali is not very well liked. Because it hurts all of your opponents. Because it never hurts you. Four generic red red for a 6-6 legendary creature, Elder Dinosaur. whenever a Tali Primal Storm attacks, exile the top card of each player's library. Then you may cast any number of non-land cards exiled this way without paying their mana cost. People don't like it when you steal their stuff. But they don't mind as much if you get rid of their stuff and they have a chance to get something else. That said, there is nothing funnier than when you flip a Tali off of the Vivictus trigger and it's, hey, by the way, we're going to do this twice next turn. Who has a board wipe? Uh, By the way, be prepared for either a very short game or a very long game with a deck of this construction, because people are either going to board wipe all the time or somebody's going to get the best win con that they could have gotten way early, stuff like that. It's always weird and a random game. Uh, Next card we're going to talk about here is Pattern of Rebirth. Three generic and a green for an enchantment aura. It says Enchant Creature. When enchanted creature dies, that creature's controller may search the library for a card, put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle their library. This is very good because it gives us an option for enchanting one of our creatures that we want to kill anyway, either to accrue value or to just, you know, because we don't really care about it. So you almost think of this as a four mana, tutor a card, Onto the battlefield real easy. The other thing about this that we like is that we can have our opponents go search for a creature. Maybe someone has something that we need and we don't have a creature on the board at the time. Anything that gives somebody the ability to search for something means that we have the ability to make a deal. And I always like the ability to make a deal if we possibly can. Last card that I want to talk about specifically for this is another one of those cards that I don't see in decks as often as I think I should. I totally understand at the same time, that's because it's a higher mana enchantment. But it just fits too well in Vivictus not to include it here, and I think it should be included in more decks. And that is Aid from the cow. This is a three generic green-green enchantment that says, Revolt at the beginning of your end step. If a permanent you controlled left the battlefield this turn, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a permanent card, you may put it onto the battlefield. Otherwise, you may put it on the bottom of your library. Well, we've already talked about the way that this deck is constructed, we're always going to reveal a permanent. There is no choice. The other part of that is, I would love the ability to evict this Asmati Chaos Warp twice on my turn, especially if I'm only going to lose one thing out of it. When we talk about what kind of fun you can have playing Magic the Gathering, I always like the randomness of the games, the ambiguity. And the ability to create a deck that everyone could win or lose on. It's literally a gamble every time that we're getting rid of something. Because unless I am getting rid of the absolute, no question, best card... In someone's deck and making them sacrifice it, there is always a chance that the next thing is gonna be worse. I like calling this the random encounters deck because it feels like an RPG where you're running around and, okay, what are we gonna run into? What is the next creature we're gonna, oh no, we ran into a mini boss. Oh no, we ran into, we ran into, what the heck is that? Is that a 1 1? What do we care about that? The ability for some people to whiff off this but you to always be in control is the reason why I like the deck. I can make deals, but I'm never going to get the worst end of that deal. Sometimes I'm going to gamble, but that's different. I might not get the result that I'm looking for if I'm making a deal with somebody, but I'm going to protect myself. If you want to choose what I'm destroying, that's totally fine, but you're going to leave me alone. Cool. Those are the kind of deals that I like to make. The ones that are, let's keep the game going, let's keep having fun with it, but having the ability to get rid of some really problematic effects, if at all possible. The other thing that I wanted to pose to everybody is, we've done a couple of deck techs, and as you've noticed, a lot of them lead into the political, group-huggy, weird type of stuff. We have a Discord, we have an open inbox, we have Twitter, we have a bunch of ways for you to contact us, and if you've got a deck that you want to see, if you could tweak a little bit to make it more, I'm going to call it social contract friendly, to be able to put a couple of tweaks into said deck, I'd love to hear it. I think that would be a really fun exercise for Alex and myself. Because then we're going to be looking at somebody else's decks and see what we can do to bring it to more of a interactive as far as the actual players, if not the battlefield themselves, kind of standard. We can also talk about adding more stacks effects in there. And when I say we, I mean I will present all of the information to Alex and then Alex can be the one who gives you all of the answers because he will be much better at it than I will. That's going to go ahead and do it for me this week. I hope you all had a good time. Again, we're going to include the deck tech in the show notes. so You're able to take a look at everything. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed the conversation, which I guess is really just me talking at you. um, But if you enjoyed me talking at you, please subscribe and rate the podcast. We have a discord link in the show notes as well. So if you want to pose any questions about your deck to us and how you can make it more social contract friendly, find us there or You can talk to us about some cards that you think are underplayed, and we can talk about them on our, ooh, can I see that segment? Or you can ask our Honorable Judge Alex a question. The point is, if you would like to interact with us in any way, you can go to our Discord link in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter at EDH underscore social, or you can email us at the EDH at gmail.com. I had a great time talking about this deck, and I look forward to talking to you all soon.